Welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Foundry Church or how to get involved, visit us at thefoundrychurch.com. All right, hey, we've been in this series about how to blow up your relationships, right? And we, we're in the middle of this thing, and we've been talking about the bombs that people throw. And they just kind of toss into their own relationships. In the first week, we laid out the foundation with the landmine of boredom. Right? And we, we discussed about how to defuse that bomb. And we, we figured out that it was fun as a couple. And that's what we were seeing in the book of Genesis. Right, The, the first week, we laid that foundation. And then last week, we dug a little bit deeper into the smoke bomb of pride that hides us from true intimacy. And we are reminded that you cannot have a Christian marriage without Jesus, without God in the center of it. Now, we're going to dig a little bit deeper on that theme. But first, let me share you some uh, secrets with you about Christina. And this may not come to you as a surprise. Sorry. No, I'm just kidding. Christina is like overly obsessed with romantic comedies, rom-coms. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? (laughs) Okay, Stephen. Now, apparently, right, on Hallmark, right now, there's this little thing called Christmas in July. Christmas, all right, the guys are happy, right, where they show these Christmas chick flicks in the summer, and, and I have been walking out to random Christmas Hallmark movies on our TV every night so far, right? And, and I got to be honest, it's driving me a, a little crazy, but here at the Foundry Church, one of our values is what we call welcoming authenticity, We want to be authentic, and we want to welcome uh, that authenticity in our relationship with God and with each other. And so, in honor of that, every once in a while, I'm like Cameron and Stephen. Like three times a year, I like to watch a good rom-com. And why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Why do you think we like these movies? Right? We're, we're definitely, uh, we're definitely not reflected in these movies. Right? I don't know about you, but my marriage, Christina and I, our marriage does not look like any of these movies on the Hallmark Channel. Maybe, maybe a little bit of the Titanic, right? <laughs> the crops the, no, But definitely not these other rom-coms, right? Listen, Foundry Church, I, I love being married to Christina, but our marriage is far from a rom-com. And I love all of you, but I know, I don't know a single person in here or even in my life who has a marriage that looks like a romantic comedy on the Hallmark Channel or from the big screen. Right, so, so why do we continue to watch these movies and hold them up to our own relationships in comparison? And I'm glad that you guys have been thinking about this and staying up late and worrying about this because I have a theory as to why we watch these movies. And I, I think it's because we all know, we all know that in reality, it is really, really, really hard to see relationships that go the distance. And we like to root for a couple that is going through a rough patch, right? That, that, we, that we know because it's a Hallmark movie, even though they're going through that rough patch, that in the end, it's all going to work out. Right? And that's why we like these movies. Right? Sometimes, or maybe a lot of times, in our own uh, relationships, we are worried that we're not going to go the distance. Right? We're not going to go the distance of our, of our marriage. We want to watch a, a happily ever after because, well, to welcome authenticity, we gave up hope of having one really, really long time ago. In our own relationship. And so it's nice to see one every once in a while, even if it's just pretend. Right? So, so for a second, I just want you to imagine something. Right? Take, take a look. 
what would a movie about your current relationship look like? All right? What would it look like? Just think about that. What, what would a movie or a, a, a rom-com of your current relationship look like? Would it, would it look like one of those Christmas Hallmark movies that Christina has been watching nonstop this month? Right? A, a few rough patches here and there, but in the end, it's all going to be great, and it's all going to work out by Christmas time, and they're going to have hot cocoa. Right? Right? Or would it be more like the popular movie a while back called The Breakup, where it was just one argument after another argument, a screaming match after screaming match, like elbow drops and WWE, right? Right, and I'll maybe take it a little bit further in our, in our world today. If, if you were to make a YouTube channel, all right, with, with videos of your day-to-day life, what are some things we would see in that YouTube channel? Right? Would we see things like you disagreeing with your spouse and, and leaving the room with your, your arms crossed and, uh, and, and you're in silence and then you just sit in a different room and you pout? Right? That works, I guess, for some people. Not me. Right? Christina will follow me. But for some of you, right, you, you see your, your spouse pouting in another room and, and you give in. You just, you just give in to whatever the fight's about just to get the pain over with. Or maybe, maybe this YouTube channel or this, this, this movie would be uh, shots and clips of, of a little bit more aggression. Right? Maybe the, the passive-aggressive route. Right? One night, you, you get in a fight, and then you know, the YouTube channel will show a video of you the next morning. And for some reason, there's only enough coffee in the jar for one cup of coffee. Right? <laughs> What? No, no, yeah, there, I don't know what happened to all the coffee last night. It has nothing to do with the fight we had last night. There was just one cup of coffee left. I'm sorry, honey. You're going to have to go fend for yourself this morning, right? I see some of you elbowing and looking at your spouses, right? Some of, some of you, it's a little close to home, right? And now there, there, are, there are some of us, maybe we're not so passive aggressive. We're just downright aggressive, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Right? Some of you just plain mean, right, in our relationships. Yeah, that's what we might see in this movie or in our YouTube channel. You might hear things like, oh, you're mad because I, I don't fold the laundry? Well, oh, sorry. You don't, you, I'm surprised that you, you uh, don't know how to use the washing machine, probably because it has a few more buttons than the dishwasher, and you don't seem to know how to use the dishwasher. And right? we, we just go right at it. We jump right in with both feet. Right? And again, Stephen's looking at Breach there. Right? Well, maybe, maybe you're more like Christina and I, right? The, the Irish and the Italian uh, couple who are extraordinarily good at yelling. And I'll be honest, again, welcoming authenticity here, right? Most of the time, it just when we yell, it just doesn't even make sense. We're just trying to make louder noises than each other in hopes that we drown out the other before we both lose our voices. Right? And so, that's where we are, Foundry Church. I, I think these things, whether you are silent or whether you are loud, passive, uh, aggressive, or you're just downright aggressive and mean, I think if we're honest, right, if we're honest, that this is what our relationships can feel like and maybe even look like. At least snippets of it. There's tension. Right? And I know this because it has been happening for a very, very, very long time, since the beginning of couples, in fact. All right, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going we're gonna to see this played out, kind of where we left off uh, last week. Genesis chapter 3, go ahead and turn there, and if you, you don't have a Bible, use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you, and you can take those with you. They are free for you to have to to take, to give away, to use, or you can download the free Foundry Burke app on the QR code there on the back of the chairs. Download that app in addition to all the announcements and sign-ups and all the information. Um, there's a Bible tab there. You click the Bible tab and Genesis 3 is already pulled up there for you. So as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of context. Last week, we talked about creation and how it was so 
amazing. And man and woman, they were in community with God, and they had intimacy with God. And because of that intimacy with God, it could be reflected in our relationships with each other as a community, but also with our spouse. And it should be, right? We should be focusing on that intimacy. But then, oh, everything fell apart. Right? What we did not talk about last week or didn't really dig into is what happened after the fall of man. Right? After that first sin, after intimacy with God was ruined, there was a curse. Right? That's where we go, dun, dun, dun. There was a curse. And that curse is the reason so many of us feel like our relationships look more like the movie Fight Club than they do a Hallmark Channel rom-com, right? right? So read with me Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Use your Bibles, right? It's not going to be on the screen, just the reference there. All right, we've got we to gotta open our Bibles here. Genesis 3, verse 16 says this. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. All right, just keep your finger there. Now, don't worry, ladies, right? All right, God cursed man too. You can read about that when you get home for some entertainment, <laughs> right? But today, we're going to focus on this curse because this is why we are having these disagreements, why there's, there's tension and the butting of heads and arguments, moments of passive aggression or just plain old pouting and meanness in our relationships. Right here we see for the first time the dirty bomb this week of control. The dirty bomb of control. Listen, before all of this, before the original sin of pride, men and women didn't have to fight. They didn't have to argue. There was no question who was in control, all right? Who was in control? God. God was in control. There was no question, all right? That's what we talked about last week. They were in the garden that God had made for them. They were doing the, the job that God asked them to do. They, they knew everything about God. They, they knew what his footsteps sounded like. They literally walked with him in this garden. He was their king, their ruler, their leader. There was no question about control in any relationship. It was God. Right? But, but now, we, we see them leaving the garden. They, they're leaving the garden. They, they had to find a new job, and, and one that apparently for Adam was not going to be much fun if you read on. And now there was this big question looming over their heads. Right? Who is in control? Who's in control? Who's the, the boss, the head honcho, the, uh, where, where does the buck stop, right? Who's in control? And here we are, literally, all this time later, and we are still asking this question. Maybe not directly, but with our actions, right? We're, we're trying to figure out who wears the pants in the family, right? And listen, as the kids, most of the kids are downstairs, it's not the kids, all right? I'll just... Now we're moving on, all right? We're, we're trying to figure it out, right? All right? Who's really in control in this relationship? Who wears the pants? And let me just give you a funny example of this, this thought. Christina and I have fundamentally different core temperatures, all right? We have fundamentally different core temperatures. She is forever complaining that she is, is too cold. She brings sweaters everywhere we go. Right? Our car probably has like five sweaters in there right now and three blankets, and it's 90 degrees outside, right? right? Everywhere we go, right? And she wears long sleeves in the summer. I, on the other hand, would sweat in Antarctica. I would. I hate the summer. I said it. Right? I hate the summer, right? I'm from, I'm from the north. I hate, I hate the summer. I'm just going to leave it there, right? I can't remember the last time I wasn't sweating, not to gross anyone out. So we are constantly fighting. Right? We're, we're constantly fighting back and forth about who gets to control the temperature in our house. But even worse than that, and, and I mean it is the absolute worst, is when we're going on long trips together in the car. Right? It can get downright nasty. 
Right? There, there is this constant jockeying for who gets to control the thermostat in the car. Right? She calls me a sweaty willow beast and as she turns the temperature up. And then I tell her that she needs to wear a sweatshirt and, and drink something warm as I turn the temperature down. There's this constant desire for control, a constant need for each of us to get our own way, to get what we want. And we, like you, we start to throw these dirty bombs at each other. Little, little passive aggression, uh, these little digs at each other, or manipulative uh, emotional withdrawal. All right, all in an effort to get our way, to get our control, in an effort to find it, to find control, and to keep it. Now, that's just a small example, right? That's, there's not too many consequences of me sweating too much or her freezing, right? But, but all the time, every day, this is happening in our relationship and in yours. And just, again, welcoming authenticity, right? Disagreements about who will discipline the kids or even uh, to discipline them at all. Fights about where you live, arguments about how to budget your money. Heck, even bickering about what new TV shows to stream on Netflix. I control the remote. And well, I think we can all say, if we just boil it down, it's not working, right? Just adds to the chaos, adds to the headaches, adds to the stress, adds to the frustration, right? And so, right, I just want to slow down and I want to dig in a little bit. I'm going to have Christina come up here and she's going to show how we can diffuse this bomb from one half of our relationship, the women. Right? She's going to show how we can diffuse this, 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 uh, this bomb of control. And Andrew asked me to talk about this, and I was recently watching an apologist on TV, uh, not on TV, actually on YouTube, and um, he, someone asked him a question, and he said, don't ask me what I think, ask me what the Bible says. Um, so that's what we're going to do today. We're just going to look at the Bible and see what it says and stand firm in that. So um, if you will turn with me, we, were, we are going to be in the book of First Peter. Um, it's near the end of your Bible. There's only a few books after. It's very little, so you could skip over it real quick. But um, we're going to be in First Peter. And as you're turning there, um, I wanted to give a little bit of context about this letter, uh, just so you can know where it's coming from. First Peter, as you probably have guessed, was written by... Peter. <laughs> um, and it was written to both Jews and Gentiles, which is just a fancy way of saying non-Jewish people, um, who had converted to Christian faith and were experiencing persecution. And as a result of that persecution, they had been scattered all over Asia Minor. And Asia Minor is what we would call Turkey today. Um, so these new believers are scattered and they find themselves in a new place, um, a place that they are not familiar with. And they are being persecuted by people that they don't know. And they're just wondering, okay, what do we do with this? So Peter writes them this letter. And in the letter, he says, like, I know where you are. And you may not know where you are, but God knows where you are. And I know that this is a new place. And I know that you may feel like you're alone in your faith. But here's what you have to remember. Remember who you are and remember whose you are. So for the first couple of chapters, he's reminding them, these new Christians, who they are. In chapter 2, he says that you are God's chosen people. You are a holy priesthood, a holy nation. And, and he basically says this, you have a new identity in Jesus, and that brings with it new activity. Remember that, new identity means new activity. He says, you are new and a different person. We, in turn, are new and different people when we become followers of Jesus. And because of this, and because of what Jesus did, because you are different people, there's this new activity that you have to do, and that is to proclaim to God, I'm sorry, proclaim God to a broken and lost world. That's your new job. You are being persecuted. You are in a place you don't know. But you have a new job because you have a new identity, and that is to proclaim God to a broken and lost world. And you would think he would say, you're in this new place, you have this new job, 
get in there and blow it up. <laughs> Just change everything, do whatever it takes, proclaim the gospel by whatever means necessary. But instead, in verse 13 of chapter 2, he says these words, be subject to every human institution. Peter says, listen, I know that you came into this new place and this new situation and you don't have a lot of power. In fact, most of you have absolutely no power. But I'm not telling you and God is not telling you to overthrow these institutions. I'm saying be subject to them. And then Peter goes through a list of these human institutions, these societal structures, and he tells this, these Christians, here is what it looks like when you are subject to these powerful institutions, but you are a Christian. And he starts by talking about the government. And surprise, surprise, Peter doesn't say overthrow the government. He says transform it from the inside by transforming the people into Jesus followers. And you do that with your own transformed actions. He says, you're going to live in this world, but you need to bring the kingdom here. And then he goes on and he talks about the workplace. And he tells them, submit to those in authority over you and transform it. By transforming the people into Jesus followers by your own transformed actions. So over and over again, this is the process that he's talking about. It is to transform the institution by transforming the people through your own transformed actions. Over and over again. Basically, Peter says, if you want to change the world, first be transformed by Jesus. Start with yourself. Then, <laughs> as a transformed person, you act like it. And those actions will transform the human institutions that you are a part of. You don't like your government? Serve the people in it. Love the people in it, no matter what side they are on. <laughs> treat all of them the way Jesus would treat you. Transform the government by showing these people how you have been transformed by Jesus. You don't like your boss? Have you tried serving them? Have you tried being gracious with them? Have you tried doing good for them? Transform your workplace by transforming the people of your workplace through the transformed actions of your own life. At every step, no matter what pain they were suffering or what pain we are experiencing or control we desire to have, Peter says the growth of the kingdom is the priority. The transformation of people into followers of Jesus is the goal. So that's your backstory. Now, we're going to read from chapter 3, starting in verse 1. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles or expensive jewelry or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. Okay, first, everyone take a deep breath. <laughs> Some of your translations probably said submit to your husband or subject yourselves to his authority. So women, take a deep breath because you have I know when I hear these things immediately in my head are questions like, well, what if this is happening? And what if he did that? And da, 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 da. Valid questions, okay, guys? They are valid questions. But just for the next couple of minutes, give me a chance to explain it. And I think between me and Andrew, we will answer all of the questions. And if you still have questions, you can ask me afterwards. I promise. Ask me anything. But I think, I think if you know the context and you know the history of it, it will have some life-giving words for us. So, deep breath. We can do this. Jesus, take the wheel. All right. <laughs> okay, so first, you hear those words, submit, subject, and you immediately start thinking of those contemporary voices that say Christianity is a patriarchal and sexist faith. But those people, and you, 
might be surprised to know that within the early Christian subculture, women served as deacons or deaconesses. <laughs> they were teachers. They were church planners. They were evangelists. And they were given much more honor and respect than they were in pagan sub subcultures at the same time. In Rome, men far outnumbered women for a variety of reasons, one of those being that when a baby girl was born, she was often literally tossed aside because the parents wanted a little boy. So as a result of these uneven numbers, women were treated as property to be traded for wealth, they were traded for power, and sometimes they were just traded for sex and that alone. But the Christian church was and should be different. It was a safe place where women would experience acceptance. They were protected. They had influence. They had a true community. They were just simply treated well. And as a result of being treated like Jesus would treat them, women were converting to Christianity in droves. In fact, Rodney Stark, who wrote the book, The Rise of Christianity, says this. The early church was so especially attractive to women that in the year 370 AD, the emperor Valentinian issued a written order to the Pope Damasus I requiring that Christian missionaries cease calling at the homes of pagan women. The emperor said, hey, Pope, you got to leave these girls alone because they're all leaving and they won't do what we want them to do anymore, if you know what I'm saying. So <laughs> the Pope ignored him. But <laughs> women at the time were treated so poorly in ancient Rome, so poorly, in fact, that if you look at all the ancient texts in Rome about how you should live, how you should work, how your home should run, women are never even addressed. Men, you do this, you do this, and women were just supposed to fall in line behind them, no questions asked. The only ancient text that actually specifically talks to women is in your hands right now. And that is where this first Peter verse comes in. For the very first time, women are specifically addressed. And it is explained for the very first time how to live within this human institution of marriage as a woman. Here, for the very first time, women are told, you have a role to play. You have power in this relationship. You're not just a commodity to be traded. You are a member of the holy priesthood. You are called to transform this human institution from the inside out. And Peter even takes it one step further, which Andrew will address later. But he shows that the Christian faith is the first religion to give married women rights by also placing an obligation on the husband other than the previous obligation of just do whatever the heck you want. <laughs> this is a different obligation, and Andrew will talk about that in a second. But I'm saying all of this to say that women did have it bad back then. It was a patriarchal society. It was a sexist society. But all of that was separate from the church of Jesus Christ, and it still should be. Christianity is different. So when you see that word subject yourself or submit, you immediately should think this is different because this is Jesus' church. You see that word, and I think one of the most famous rom-coms of all time, The Princess Bride, this comes into mind. You keep using that word, but I don't think you know what it means. <laughs> I don't think it means what you think it means. Here in the Bible, submission as a wife is different. Submission in marriage means this. Opening yourself up to the inclination of receiving and affirming your husband's initiation for your good. You know, I talk to women all the time and they say, I hear it over and over again, I just wish that he would take some initiative. I just wish that he would do something. That is what submission is. When he does something good, you affirm it. You say, keep doing that. This is great. <laughs> It is the truest form of trust that when your husband initiates a good, a righteous, and honorable thing in your marriage, you incline yourself to receive it and affirm it. 
submission is acknowledging when he does good. You encourage it, you affirm it, affirm it. Listen, as Andrew said, it is our goal as Christian women not to be in control. God is in control. We never were in the first place. <laughs> our goal is to grow the kingdom of God and let the God we are forging our life on gain control. And that is what we are reading in these verses. To do that means that sometimes we have to help those around us grow in their faith. It means that we encourage that growth. We encourage those good decisions. We encourage when they initiate things for our good. It means that we affirm them. It means that we are looking for the good in the situation. We don't just shame our husbands for everything that they're failing at. You never do this, or you never did that, or I'm in this all by myself. No, when you see him doing good, or when we hear about him doing good, or when you even know that he is trying to act in accordance with the calling Jesus has placed on his life, you affirm it, you encourage it, you say, how can I help? Let me give you an example of this. So, as Andrew said, I love chick flicks, but I also love Christmas. That's why Christmas in July is so wonderful. Um, <laughs> I'm from the Midwest. We go all out for holidays, especially Christmas. Um, and I decorate our whole house. Like, our whole house completely changes at Christmas. It's Jesus' birthday, y'all. we got to have a party. Well, <laughs> so, this past Christmas, I was really excited because we had just gotten a painting, a vintage painting of Santa. And I was really excited to hang it up. It was beautiful. So there I am in the living room, literally hands on the wall, holding a nail, hammer about to nail a, a new hole in our wall, which Andrew really loves it when I do that too. But <laughs> Andrew walks in the living room, and before I can even swing the hammer, he says, you can't put that there. Excuse me. <laughs> Decorating is my thing. I can put this wherever I want. So as I was planning to ignore him, I picked the hammer back up, and he says, seriously, you can't hang that there. Things are getting serious now. And so I put everything down, and I start to give him the look. You all know the look that I'm talking about. <laughs> and to his affirmation, he sweetly and calmly said, Christina, I don't think it is wise to put a giant picture of Santa above the nativity scene. I mean, I like Santa just as much as the next guy, but Christmas is about Jesus. And I don't think we should take away from that. <laughs> right in the gut. <laughs> this is the kind of submission that that verse is talking about. It is when your husband is working for your good, for the growth of your faith, for God's glory, you submit to that. You honor that. You acknowledge that, which I'm doing right now. <laughs> and you thank him for that. I could have gotten angry and said, well, I'm putting all these up by myself so I can put stuff wherever I want. But I didn't. Well, eventually I did it. <laughs> because submitting to him was for my good and for the growth of our faith as a family. Opening myself up to the inclination of receiving and affirming my husband's initiation for my good was a way to affirm his faith, affirm my faith, and to take ground for the kingdom of God. I want to be very clear here. Submitting does not mean that we do everything our husband says with no partnership, no question, no discussion. And it especially does not mean that you willfully take abuse from your spouse for the name of Jesus. Jesus does not want his name associated with that. He doesn't want that, and your church doesn't want that. If you are in a situation like that, please come talk to me after the service. I also had Cameron put my email address up there, email you, and we will do what the church does. We will love women, we will take care of them, and we will get them the help they need. That is not submission. Submission also does not mean that if your husband is not a Christian, like if you got married and then came to your faith, I don't recommend missionary marriages. They don't usually work out. <laughs> you should marry a Christian. But if after you got married and you became a Christian, submission does not mean that you do whatever he wants, even if it's sinful. Remember, God is in control. You submit to his authority first. 
So if your husband is asking you to do something that is sinful or not God-honoring, you do not have to submit to that. In fact, if your husband is not a Christian, then these verses go doubly for you about the good things that he does. You don't have the power to be the Holy Spirit for your husband, but you do have the power to show him what Jesus looks like. So you can serve him. You can love him. You can affirm him and encourage him when he's doing good things that look like Jesus. I get that these verses are really hard. I struggle with them. Like Andrew said, I'm Italian. We are very strong-spirited women. (laughs) But but Peter says in these verses, here it is. You want to have a successful Christian marriage. You want to take ground for the kingdom of God. Well, I'm just going to lay it all out on the table for you. You make the choice. You decide. You make up your mind. But ask yourself these questions. Is the growth of this man's faith... Is the growth of my family's faith, is the growth of God's kingdom, is taking ground in the name of Jesus worth submitting to the leadership of your husband? Is it? Are you willing to give up just a little bit of control to help your husband take the next step in his faith? Or the first step in his faith? Are you willing to transform the institution of marriage from the inside by a transformative act of submission? So, here is your application for today, women. Here is your take-home item. Maybe, just maybe, (laughs) when you get home today without a prompting from your husband, but a prompting from me, (laughs) thank him for all of the good he has done in your family or he is doing right now. Point out the times that you have appreciated his wisdom. Maybe write him a note thanking him for seeking after the good of your family and God. Submit your control. Don't throw the bomb. Instead, ask him how you can help him and then serve him. I think maybe God, through Peter, might be telling you, do something that your husband hates doing, like mowing the lawn or taking out the trash. Do it for him. Don't nag him. Do it for him. And then maybe he will remember that there is a God in heaven who has served him, who loves him. Maybe your service will remind him to seek out the goodness of God. Maybe... Your submission will encourage him to stand firm in his convictions for God's kingdom. And maybe, because you have subjected yourself to the good and honorable leadership of your husband, together you can take ground for the kingdom of God in your family, in your community, and in your marriage. All right. Listen, if uh, Christina went home uh, and, like, cleaned the bathroom, which is normally my chore, like, I'd be closer to God. I'm just being honest, right? I would be like, all right, my relationship with God, I drew closer uh, than I have in a really long time. I'm just saying, all right. Now, look, I handed uh, that section off to Christina uh, to talk to the wives. And now, I'm, real quick, I'm going to talk uh, to the husbands. If you jump down in 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 7, it, it simply uh, says this in verse 7. In the same way, or if you're using the Bibles there in the pews, it says likewise, right? In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are. That's physically, right? But she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. All right, now to address the elephant in the room, real quick here. Peter says a little less than he does uh, to women, to husbands. But remember, he's talking about how to behave in all these human institutions, right? He's going through these institutions. He gets to this marriage. And over and over again, he is talking uh, to people who have little to no power in these institutions. People who are under a governor, under a king, under a master. They're, they're under the, the, this power, under this rule. People who are traditionally outside of the power dynamic. And he tells them how to behave in this situation. 
Right? He, he does the same for women. He gives them a choice. And he says, if you want to grow the kingdom of God, make the choice and to act this way, like Christina pointed out, in marriage. Right? Give up control for the kingdom of God. Let God be in control. Forge your life on him and not on yourself. Right? But for the first time now in this list, he's addressing the person who traditionally has some power in the human institution of marriage. Why? Because men, right? Because men were less at risk. It's just the way it was. Men did not have to worry about being taken advantage of, being taken advantage of the same way that women were taken advantage of. Men did not have to worry about losing their faith because of the people in power over them in the same way that women had to be worried about losing their, their, their ability to practice their faith because of the people over them. Instead, now, he addresses them because, right, because of their power. And look what he says first, the very first word, right, like we pointed out, likewise. Likewise, right, in the same way, he says, just like your wife, sometimes you have to give up control. Right, Peter says, you have the power, but you do not have the control. God does. God does. Right? Peter says this, right? He says, husbands, use your power to elevate, not to diminish. Elevate and not to diminish. And that's in every sphere of our relationships and where we have power. Right? Where we are leaders, one of our measures. We're all leaders, right? And we have to elevate and not diminish, especially in our marital relationships. He says, listen, you guys are on the same team. Husbands, life is not a game of one-on-one. It is even a game of you versus the world. Right? The truth is, is that you and your wife and all of your Christian community stand arm and arm against the strongholds of the world, right? against the, the human institutions that, that have been infiltrated or whatever. Right? You're standing together with Jesus. And, and further, he's saying, sometimes you're not going to be the star, star point guard or the quarterback, right? Throwing the touchdown passes. Right? So you, you, you're going to have to be the one that throws the ball to the other player who scores. You're going to have to make the assist. You're, you're going to have to use your power to elevate and not diminish your wife, right? right? We're, we're the, we're, what's that old movie? George Clooney is in it, and it's a football movie, and, like, he's, a, they have this star running back. It's from the 20s, like, right? yeah, yeah, and, like, the, the new, I'm on a sidetrack. The, the new running back is, like, this handsome and gorgeous athletic physique guy, and he's, like, scoring all the touchdowns, and George Clooney's getting his head stepped on after he makes a block, right? We're George Clooney in this movie, Leatherheads, right? That's what a husband is, right? You're sacrificing, you're building up, you're elevating, Right? Are, are you going to do that by, and the way that we do that is we do that by understanding our wife, by understanding her. Now, that word understanding does not mean we just understand where she is coming from, and then we just go on doing whatever we were going to do in the first place. Right? I hear you, but it's in one ear out the other. Right? That's not what it means. Right? That word means, this word understanding comes from a place of knowledge, and real quick, right, to come from a place of knowing your wife. Guys, you do not have to know all women. Right? That's an amen moment right there, guys. Right? We all, should, all men should be saying amen. Right? We don't have to know all women. Right? We have to know our wife. Right? Right? But we are called to know her and how she's forging her life on God and to help her in that, to know uh, her and learn her, uh, what, our, what our wife is like. And we have to study our, our wife and understand what, what, she, what drives her and what she's like. Right? You are called to come from a place of knowing her heart's desire, of knowing her dreams of knowing her goals in order to serve and love Jesus, her first love, her most important love. And with that knowledge, Peter, Peter says to honor her, build her up with that knowledge, put your preferences aside, put control aside and serve her, love her, transform her by our love and by a life of actions 
for her. Right? You know, there was this meme that was going around around Father's, like, father's time or Father's Day. But I think it's the perfect picture for also uh, for husbands. It's that some sacrifices uh, we make as dads. And it's true, as dads. But it's also as, as husbands, right? And do you see what's going on here? There's like one piece of meat left and like one, cheese, one slice of cheese. That's not a real sandwich. But then it's also made with the heels of the bread, right? right this, isn't, this isn't a real sandwich, right? But I think it perfectly illustrates what Peter is trying to say. He says, know your wife and then do what is best for her, sacrifice for her. Give her the last pieces of real bread and all the meat and cheese, right? And then you eat your heel sandwich with no complaints, right? Or, or in our house, that means we always have to buy creamy peanut butter instead of crunchy peanut butter, right? Or I can't eat Chipotle anymore, right? right? But yet we go to Chipotle all the time, right? For real though, right? Peter says, use your power, use your power, the, the power that you have, to get to know your wife, and with that knowledge, look for ways to show her honor, value, uh, respect, to elevate her, to show her that she is not some second-class citizen in the kingdom of God, that she is a valued member of the kingdom of God, that she's a daughter of the God that we're forging her life on, and that she's valuable, and that she can bring about monumental change. For his kingdom. Right? And women, when you are loved and when you are honored and known like that, I bet that will make submitting to your husband a whole heck of a lot easier. Right? And as I call the band back up here, I want to end by saying this. Right? Marriage is not about trying to control one another. Marriage is about gaining ground for the kingdom of God. That's what Christian marriage is about. It's about gaining ground for the kingdom of God. That is what our entire life is about when we say, I am done with my old way of living, and I accept Jesus as my Lord. We meet him in the waters of baptism, and we forge our life on him. It's about saying his kingdom first. His will be done and not my own. Listen, I love my wife. All right, nothing gets me going like Christina Kinney does. All right, there's, there's no human being that I love more we fell madly in love with each other, and we've been going strong ever since. Right? Day after day, she has stood faithfully by my side, loving me, encouraging me, challenged me. Life together has been amazing, and I believe that the best is yet to come. I know it's, <laughs> it's to come, but here's the thing. I have imagined what it will be like when Christina comes face to face with God. I picture that moment for her when she's standing at the end of her life, end of her earthly life, and she's standing face to face with God, right? And the Bible, the Bible guarantees that this day is going to happen. One day, Christina, my wife, will stand before the creator of all, the judge of all things. I can't imagine any of us being ready for that shock, that that moment's going to bring. Yet scripture begs us to spend our lives preparing for it. So my call, listen guys, my call as her husband is to love her, know her, honor her in a way that sets her up for that future. For that moment when she's standing before the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the future, the eternal, right? When most people make this statement, set up for the future, right? They, they are thinking about financial security and stupid stuff like that. For the last few years that they are on this earth, right? That's what they're thinking about. When I say I'm referring to the millions and millions of eternity years that come after that. Right? I am crazy about my wife and I want her to have a great life. But I am more concerned with her having a great eternity with Jesus and not me. And she feels the same way about me. Right? And we feel the same way about you guys. Right, we, yes, we want you to have a great marriage. Right? That is why we're doing this series. But even more than that, we want you to be able to give up a little control for the growth of God's kingdom. Right? In your battle for control, in this bomb that we're talking about, in your marriage, right? in this battle for control, in your marriage, 
if, if it's getting in the way of the mission that God has called you to at this local outpost, be strong and do something about it. Make corrections. Figure it out. Work together. Right? Some of you in this room knew that there was something wrong in your marriage. And there were some dirty bombs going off in your marriage. And so you did the right thing. The strong thing. The thing that God wanted you to do and you asked for help. Because you knew the bombs are hindering your ability to, to parent your children towards eternity with Jesus. That these bombs were getting in your way of your own relationship with Jesus. That these bombs, these dirty bombs are pulling your focus from telling your friends about the life-changing power of Jesus. Church, when you are both willing in a relationship, to give up control. When you are both willing to submit to God, well, everything else just falls into line. We live for eternity. We live for, for him. He's in charge, right? Christina and I have mutual love for one another, but our mutual love for Jesus and his mission is what binds us. It's what binds us. We both love helping people repent of their sins, turn to Jesus and be filled with the Spirit. I love watching her uh, share her faith, disciple younger women, care for the poor and minister to children and, and lead us in worship each Sunday. Right? She, she just loves being a part of that. But men, listen, we love being on mission together more than anything else. And men, get your wife Pull alongside of you and gain ground for the kingdom of God. That's what you're called to do. Quit making excuses. Quit turning a blind eye. Man up. Get your wife. Get your kids. Take ground for the kingdom of God. Step up. Be a man. That's what it's about. That's Christian marriage. That's stand and worship the king of kings, the Lord of lords. The God who binds it all together in the first place. The Lord that we forge our life on. Let's worship him again with one more song. Lord, we thank you for...